continuing our series on the God experience. And I just really pray that today God would speak to each of us. I just had a sense, even as we were worshipping, that there's so much the Lord may well want to do in so many of our lives. We've talked into the experience of God and living out the calling of his life. And we've, we've used the sort of a bucket as an example with different holes in it at that, and there's different realities that we experience and the, and the lowest level uh, of where the hole is at the lowest, that's the that's level of our experience of God. And we've talked about having faith and, and listening and uh, all these sorts of things that are normative and how God invites us into relationship and to work with him. And today I want to talk about this thing called a crisis of belief. But let me begin by trying to reach into your heart because I don't want to, I don't want to bring to anything other than a call, a godly call to repentance in the biblical sense of what that means because repentance is not just saying sorry, it's, it's letting go of one thing and, and moving into and taking up something else. But I understand the hearts of so many people because I guess more than anybody or at least as much as anybody, I get to share life and talk with so many of our people. And many of us are grappling with this incredibly busy life and this, and this disrupted life that we've had. Uh, they're grappling, guilt is probably the wrong word, but you'll probably understand what I mean, the tension of trying to live a God-oriented life in a, in a culture that is just so darn busy. There's so much required of us. We have to get up so early just to get to work. We have so much going on at work. We're multitasking. We've got kids and we've got programs and music and sports and, and all the things that, that seem to be compulsory these days. And struggling with the, the tension of that, how do I live a God life in this life? How, how is it possible? And, and sort of wearing the burden on our shoulders a little bit of our days are full and our weekends are full and we're, we're feeling scattered. What does God require of me? And week I've had the chance to uh, I'll promise I'll stop that. As I've been talking with people, just been felt inspired to say, just let that burden come off your shoulders for a moment of what, what is it that I need to perform with, but rather set our hearts to seeking God as a, the priority is not first asking what does God require because he's been very clear on what that is. He asked us purely to seek him first and all the other things will follow on as they should after that. So seek God fully and then just do what he says. Do what he says. As long as our hearts are open that if God calls us to the mission field tomorrow that we would go, then it's okay. He may not be asking you to do that, but square that away in your own soul. And once you're, once you're able to do that, then just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? In this crazy time of my life, what is it that you're asking me to do? Then just do that. And so today's message is what happens as the ramifications of that very simple prayer. Because the reality is that God calls very normal people to do very important things every day, right where you are, right where he's got you in this life that you're living. And I want to use an example of Gideon to kick us off today from, uh, from Judges chapter 6, if you've got that open in an app or whatever, and it will be on screen. And we're looking at, at the story of Gideon. I'm going I'm to bypass the normal uh, part that I love to begin with where God meets him in the wine press and he says, hello, mighty warrior, and get onto the ramifications of what happens when this guy's had an encounter with God that's taken him completely by surprise. And it says, so Gideon, in response to what's happened, Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abir... <laughs> I just did a porky pig. 
Abiezer writes, I'm not saying that again, the same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Very specific. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And what I want to zoom in there is you can see that in response to this encounter that Gideon's had, he builds an altar to God. And we do that. We do that as well. We've all done that. We've all, if you're someone who's given your heart to Christ, or let me preface that and say, if you have not yet built uh, that faith in your life, if you have not yet given your heart to Christ, perhaps this is the day where you step over that line of faith and say, I'm going to do that. I know God is real. I know it's true. And I know I can't earn my way into his presence from my own horsepower and my own works. I can't ever be that good. What he's done is enough for me. I need to rely on that and then take the next step. But like Gideon, what we tend to do is we build this private version of our altar to God in our life. And so most of us have done that. We have this private altar. It sits at home and and, uh, it's not a, a physical altar, but it's our lifestyle that we've created. It's the time that we dedicate, it's our quiet times, it's our morality, it's, it's the part of our life that is dedicated to God. It's appropriate, it's real, it's, it's what we do. And we build them in the presence though, as Gideon did, he built this altar to God in the presence of the other altars to the world. And so he, he starts to realise this tension that I'm talking about. I'm living in this complicated world where there are altars all around me to comfort and to materialism, and to my ambitions, and my needs for this, and and all the stuff that I want to do. But amongst all those altars, I have an altar to God as well. And so he builds that, and and God just fronts him on it. And this is a guy who's going to be called upon to um, overthrow a whole nation through the power of God with just a few dozen men against tens of thousands, but to get to that place where God can use him there, he first requires him to deal with this, what looks like a small thing, but in the end is an incredibly huge thing in his life because what he does right now determines what's going to happen next. And the pathway in our life that God calls us toward often hits these forks in the road where if we can't obey the simple single thing, how can he entrust the greater thing to us? And so he builds his altar in the presence of all the other altars in his life, but God calls him out and says, take Take the second ball and tear down your father's altar to Baal. Because he can't, there comes a moment in our life where God says, this tension that you're feeling between this God life and this world life, and you'll understand that tension that I'm talking about. It's like, I want to live for God, but I'm forced to live in the world according to its system. There comes a moment where God calls us out. He says, that tension that tension has gone beyond being a tension. Now it's a problem to be solved because you're not navigating a tension anymore because the, the tension's gone. It's like you've, you've built the altar and all the other altars are there and no altar's being challenged here and he calls us out and he says, I need you to tear down this inappropriate altar in your life. He appreciates the altar that we built to him, but he says, I can't coexist anymore with these other altars because what I'm calling you to be and to become can't exist in the presence of all these other altars in your life. And we may or may not be aware of them in our life. They'll be subtle, but you'll know God may have confronted with you and it might be through his inside voice, sometimes through his outside voice, which none of us really want to hear. But we might say to ourselves, you know, look, I pray and I have faith and God says, thanks for that, appreciate that, but you really treat your neighbour badly. Are your neighbours seeing God through you? 
are the people seeing God through you every day and in, in what you're doing and what you're saying in the way. You may even be perfectly right in all the judgments that we have because Christians know right and wrong better than anyone. Do the people in your workplace and your neighbourhood look at you and see God? How about you stop praying and fix that? I think I'm going to need another microphone. Here it comes. He's not bringing a microphone. Is that on? That's a great thing. See, I can edit this out. The whole world will not know what just happened. Okay, let's not lose this moment because this is very important. It's no no accident that things like that happen at that time. There are just moments in our life where God does call us out and says, which altar are you going to allow to stand? Love the one you built to me, but that, that tension is now a problem. You know, you may be someone who reads your Bible and, and, uh, and knows it inside out. You can quote the law to anyone you like, but you've somehow managed to alienate workmates and family and, and all these sorts of things through our judgment. And I've given some, lots of illustrations here of that before, how my own judgment of what was right and wrong, but it's perfectly right, alienated people very close to me. Sometimes you can be 100% right and totally wrong. And God says, I need you to talk, tear that altar down. Stop telling people what's wrong and start encouraging them. And so God calls us to tear some idols down. He goes on in verse uh, 25. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer a second bull as a burnt offering. So it's from the very stuff that the other altars were built of. Take that and build a proper altar to God. A proper altar to God. I grapple with this verse all the time. I quoted it uh, in a message I did um, a month or so ago now to a bunch of young adult leaders up in Mount Tambourine and had no idea what, I was, uh, what it was having, the impact it was having on the crowd. There were about 10 baptisms came out of that, just me mentioning this verse. How about we build a proper altar to God? Because baptism, it's the first thing Jesus said, repent and be baptised. It's the first thing he calls us to do. What makes us think we're going to follow the second thing he calls us to do if we're not prepared to do the first? Liam, we're going to open the baptism up again tonight. We haven't planned this, obviously, but if you haven't been baptised, why don't you come tonight and be baptised? If you've got theological questions about that, we have a, a link on the website that can talk into that as well. But maybe we should just consider what's stopping me from doing the first thing that he calls me to do. Maybe it's time to build a proper altar to God in my life, to make it public, to come out. So here's what's happened in my life. I can't explain it. I can't live up to it. I don't earn the right to be baptised. I'm symbolising what's happened in my heart. The old life is gone. The new life has come and praise God for that. What happens here in these moments where we tear, we tear these altars down is we build a proper altar to God and we enter this thing we're calling a crisis of belief. And a crisis of belief happens anytime God leads you to do something God-sized and we experience this, this crisis. Because crisis, we think in negative terms. We've, we've put... It's a crisis. But crisis comes from a Greek word which is actually spelled crisis. <laughs> Who'd have thought? But it's spelled with a K, so it's obviously considerably different. It's actually crisis in, uh, in the Greek. And it, and it actually means, it doesn't mean the way we form this is a troublesome time. It's actually symbolising or talking about a decision. It's a fork in the road. I'm going one way. There's a separation. 
I was going one way and now I'm going a different way now. I've made a choice. It's a crisis point. And this is a crisis of belief that when God tells us to do something, he's going to tell us to do something that we probably can't do in our own strength and it's going to require his help to do it. And so it's a separation where we're now living the God life and we're tearing down the wrong altar and we're building the right altar to God in our life. And so Gideon would alter the path of nations by this decision that he made. But it started small. Well, not that small, to be honest. When he tore down that altar, the whole village would probably kill him for doing that and they threatened to do that. It wasn't just tearing down a stone pillar. This was was representing their beliefs, the whole culture of his village. He was taking the initiative to tear it down. So he, uh, he, he could do the tearing down on his own strength. He couldn't live beyond the second day by his own strength. And so these crises of belief occur when we choose to act on God's guidance. It's a crisis of belief. It's because we believe that we enter into a crisis. Unlike the other sort of crisis of belief you've heard about where people enter a crisis because they no longer believe. This is a positive crisis. It's saying, God has told me, I know this is true. I need to solve this tension and act accordingly. And so if you do believe, God will call on us to act on something. Belief comes with action a tearing down and a setting up. So I want to talk into this crisis of belief and a few facets of it this morning. First one is it's going to require faith. A crisis of belief is about belief. It's obedience that comes from belief. God calls us to do what our strength can't do alone. We see this in Acts chapter 4, and and, uh, Sandy was quoting a scripture that we're going to preach into tonight. And um, in Acts chapter 4, we see that... uh, Peter and John had just been flogged and questioned and and all the things that had happened to them there. And they really made very clearly aware that this path that they're on is going to end in martyrdom. It's going to end badly for you guys. We're going to let you go. Don't do it again. And that was true. In Acts chapter 12, James was martyred for doing the same thing. In Acts 7, Stephen got martyred. But back here in Acts chapter 4, this is all before them. And their decision could be, We've had a rap on the knuckles. We've we preached the gospel. Jesus said, go and preach. We've preached. We better take it easy for a while. We better turn the dials down a little bit. Good time to stay. Let's just pray again for a while and let the heat die down. But that's, that's not the way they thought. And they went straight into this crisis of belief. They were released from, from their custody and they came together and they, they got into the room. How do we respond in this moment? Jesus has told us to go. The lights were green. We can't see any red lights anywhere. What do we do now? Now, if we speak, there's a great chance we're going to die uh, for doing so. And I love their prayer in Acts 4.29. It's probably my favourite verse in the book of Acts or verses. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. There's a prayer. We don't care what's going to happen to us. All we do, God, give us the strength to do what you've told us to do because we can't do it in our own strength. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God filled them and they spoke. And a God life will just have elements where it's, it's necessary that God does something in our life. If, see, our nature is to try and build our life where faith is unnecessary. It's just the way we are. We, we find a comfort zone and we, and we want to get into that routine. We're in control and we, we try to build a life that's faithful but 
is sort of faithless. It doesn't require faith to keep going, just our faithfulness. Such a big difference between faith and faithfulness. And periodically, God will just allow things in your life to drive you to a point of utter dependence. One way or t'other, he gets us there. And all the easy options fall away. And we find the world can't provide or the world won't provide the things that we need. And this is the definition of a wilderness where the world's supply is cut off and all we have is God's supply left to rely on. And we find ourselves coming to a cliff and all we can do is jump, knowing that God's called us to do that. It's going to require faith. I wonder if God's called you to an act of obedience and you just figured, I'll wait till I can do it. It's not then. If he calls us to obedience, it's now and he's going to help you fulfil it. Number two, it's God-sized. It requires faith and it's God-sized. You know, many people don't believe in God because they only see Christians at work. The testimony of the church has got to be more than what we can do in our own strength. It's got to be about what God has done in his strength because God's got big ideas that all of us can be a part of. I remember a time, and we're talking about a whole different way of thinking about economy and work and faith, but there was a time uh, a number of years ago um, where I was involved in another church. It's now become the great church down the corner called River Life. But back then it was Kenmore Baptist. Many of us have, have come from that scenario. I don't know how many people were around there when we were in the, in the smaller building and we had to raise money for land. And the land was worth uh, $5.5 million back when that was a lot of money. And um, I, I was not long on staff there and, I, and, I, and life hadn't kicked the audacity out of me yet and I was still a bit cheeky, you know. And uh, we'd, we'd had the fundraising campaign and we'd raised $4.5 million in a day. It was an incredible miracle. In one day, we raised $4.5 million. This wasn't pledges to come. This was what arrived on the day. And we're all pretty rah-rah about it, but in the back of my head, I'm knowing, well, the bill's going to be five and a half. And I remember the, I remember the Monday and, and the senior pastor then, a very faithful man, um, was wondering what to do because it was a non-Christian that we were buying the block of land off. And he was weighing up, do we pull out? Uh, do we offer a reduced price? And I... And I, and I Suddenly the Spirit came upon me. I remember in the hallways uh, down there in the lower hall there at, at Kenmore Baptist, and I, and I just said, this person is from the world. They deserve full market price. How dare we not offer them full market price? Call a meeting with him. This is me talking to my senior pastor. Call a meeting with him and then don't say a word. And he did. And he, so he called a meeting and, and this guy the first miracle was that our senior pastor didn't say a word. If you, under, if you remember that guy, he, he liked to say a word, right? And um, so the first miracle was, I think the obedience step was to not say a word. And um, before he could say a word about what, he, this is the report that came back. Before he could say a word, oh, and the, and the second part of my word of knowledge that I had was, that man's going to offer you $1 million interest free for a year. So I said, go there and don't say a word. So the, so the heat's on me, I suppose. Um, anyway, he goes into the meeting and the first word the, the vendor said, is it the vendor? The vendor said, uh, he said, before you say anything, I want to offer you, guess what, a million dollars interest-free for 12 months. Who does that? That's, that's what a crisis of belief creates. If God says it, it's God's, strength and his grace that provides for it. And all he does is call on us to obey. He does all the work and guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory. His methods, his economy are different. He works by the power of his word, 
coupled with our faith. And God's plans aren't limited in size uh, or audacity by us. So the first step for us is to not constrain what we can hear based on what we want him to do or what, how big our faith is. It's to, it's to look from his perspective so we can hear from his perspective. You know, this church began as the answer to a, a funny question that I, that I started with um, a number of years ago, about six months before we started this church. The question was very simple. What would it look like if God wanted to save 50,000 people in a local area? Could the churches, could the church, the way we do church, get out of the way of that? Very simple question. Could the church get out of the way if God had in his heart to save 50,000 people in an area like this? And as a, a, a mechanic, engineer type of guy, I knew the systems of church, I could say, no, we would, we, we would fall over ourselves. All we think about is buildings and budgets and, and strat plans and we, we, there's no way we could grow or scale up that fast. So I dedicated a couple of days just to, uh, just to strategizing that out. What, how could we do that and come up with a bit of a framework? And next thing you know, uh, we're offered to come and start this. And this church is the beginning of that dream. Of, of a way of a scalable way of building kingdom that's not constrained. We can use buildings and budgets, but we're not constrained by them. What's to stop us having house churches everywhere, having meetings in cafes, of, of having church plants spring out from here? And so from the moment that we started this church, it was with that God-sized vision in place. And it's up to God whether that comes true or not. But our role is to create a framework, a space where God can fill that if he has a will to do that. So we started as a church that, that builds leaders and has plants in minds and all that kind of stuff. All right, number three, and I need to move on. Our crisis of belief reveals what you believe about God. What you believe about God will always become apparent in the way and the, and the, and the means with which we, are, we obey what he's saying. See, Gideon tore down the altar because he realised from his earlier confrontation with the Lord that God was a jealous God and his understanding of God in that way enabled him to tear down that altar. We'll only act in accordance with our belief and faith about God. We need to decide what it is we believe about him. Do you believe he's interested in using you for his purposes every day, every week, everywhere? Do you believe he's prepared to do miraculous things through you? If you don't believe it, you won't hear it. You won't hear his guidance to do just that because you just don't believe it happens. Do you believe he's willing and able to provide for you without any limit? I remember the first time I was confronted with this, I was, uh, Trish and I were just married and I was working in Newcastle and we were attending a church there and I heard a story about a guy who was, uh, the Lord had um, prompted him quite strongly to give his house away to a missionary who'd just come home. Give his house away. This is a guy with, with a family, young family, and God had prompted him to give his house away. And when I heard it, I was shocked. I didn't have a grid for that let alone to do it. <laughs> but this guy did. And so he did. He gave his only family home away without any condition, without any promise that God would do anything else. He was only told to give his home away. And he gave his home away, lock, stock and barrel. What I couldn't believe was what happened next. With it before he'd even moved out, God had given him a house, I think two or three times bigger not to bless him, but to bless more people because he'd just been proven faithful. And faithful hands will always be filled with more because God can trust us with that. And so he used that bigger home to bless more and more people. And I don't know how the story ended for that guy, whether it's still going on, but it just, I've never, my faith has never been the same since I heard that story. Yet God would say something like that and someone would do it. Would you do it? 
Don't show our hands on that one. But this, this creates this crisis of belief. God says it, will we act on that? Because God's got no limit to the big ask because he's got no limit to what he can provide. It sort of bends the mind somewhat, doesn't it? What might he be asking us to do and to join in on? Number four, the crisis of belief requires action. It requires us to obey. See, obedience, it demonstrates faith. It comes from faith. Obedience is an overflow of faith. Romans 1.5, Paul uses this beautiful saying. He says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So he's, he's Old Testament guy, he was, where we obey to earn God's favour. Now he's saying God's favour is on you and that, that overflows into obedience. The whole thing's been inverted. And Scripture's assumption is that faith overflows from us. As we believe, we can't help but act. There's no passive or theoretical version of Christianity in the Bible. At some point, he's going to call us to do something that's radically different from what we've been doing. James 2, you probably know the verses. As the the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You can't believe and not do. You can't honestly believe and not do. See, God's words, when he tells them to us, when he speaks to us, brings faith with them. If he commands, he provides. I remember the moment that Trish and I made the decision to go into ministry. Yeah, oh, I forget what year, uh, 20-odd years ago now. It was very simple. We hadn't planned our day to make a decision like that. I was running my own little company from home. We had some employees and all this stuff. And I just looked at her at the end of the day. She said, I'm just wondering whether we just need to give this all away and go to Bible college or, or get a business loan and go big. And we just looked at each other and it was, it was less than five minutes, I think, to say, no, it's time to stop running. And that, and that instantly that crisis of belief, and, and a crisis doesn't always feel like, sometimes it just feels like a thrill. It's like going on a roller coaster where your arms are out and down you go. That's what it felt like to us. And so we just decided to sell the business and, and go into ministry. Didn't tell anyone about it. Three days later, the pastor at the church, we're at little church, offered me three days a week work. He didn't know what, you know, out of the blue, who offers a businessman three days a week work at a church? Why would I do that? It's like, you know, just said, yes, what do you want me to do? <laughs> And that's, that's how our story started. But faith in God makes that sort of obedience easy. And we've got to understand that good intentions, and we all have them, are not the same as obedience. God can't use good intentions. We judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their actions. But our intentions aren't something God can use. We can't say one day I'll do that when, when the circumstances suit or I've got this or I've got that. There's no faith in that. If he calls us to obey, then we obey. If he calls us to obey, it's to rely on him to provide. At some point, our life just has to reflect obedience to God's word. So there's nothing more Pat Hegarty can say about this. This is something that God needs to talk to you, yourself about. This is between you and him. It may be time to tear down the wrong altars in our life and build a proper altar. So I'm just wondering if there's an area in your life where God's been prompting you. It might be small, but don't let small fool you into thinking it's insignificant. I might just bring us now into a time of prayer and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and talk to us and I'll, I'll get uh, 
it's handy and the guys to come up and play just quietly in the background. But are you game enough to pray with me? I'm in it with you. We've all got our things that the Lord's calling us to deal with. So let's pray together in full presence of grace. See, God doesn't condemn. God does not condemn. God convicts. And where there is conviction, there is power. Power to change. Power to deal with that difficult thing that we've put off. Perhaps you've been waiting for God's outside voice. Well, here it is. It's time. Today. Perhaps it's as simple as getting baptised, as I've said. If you haven't been baptised, please join us tonight. We're going to fill the pool in faith. Liam's got nothing else to do tonight except baptise people. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit would come right now. Lord, in the gentleness and the power of your grace, where have you been speaking to us, Lord? Perhaps it's time to extend forgiveness to someone that you've been holding it against, holding it back, because you've had the right to be angry. You've had the right to be cross. You've been hard done by. And you hang on to the right to be angry about that. Maybe it's time to stop fighting the inevitable in your life where you know God's calling you into an area that you know is going to be uncomfortable and difficult. And you've been trying to avoid that difficulty and and avoid that discomfort because it just doesn't suit you. Man, I get it. But there comes a time to tear down that altar and build a proper altar to God in your life because He'll give you everything you need in that space. Maybe it's time to go the extra mile for someone you think doesn't deserve it. You've stood your ground and you've fought the fight and you've said your peace and they're wrong and you're right. And God may well just be calling you to say, well, enjoy being right. How about you minister now to that person's soul? How about you put your swords down and show grace? How about you pay a price to have them get their way? How about you stop being so proud and comfort the one that you've hurt. That will change someone's life. Our rightness seldom does. Maybe it's time to stop it. And surrender to you would look like going the extra mile and giving to someone who you believe least deserves it. Perhaps it's time for you to give into the kingdom of God and Invest some time with the gifts and the capacities that God's given you. Maybe it's time that you went into ministry. Maybe like the Hegarty's, it's just a moment where you say, I need to stop running from God and just say yes. I don't know how, it makes no sense, but God's calling me. Maybe it's time to exercise generosity, to give even though you sense lack. Maybe God's prompted you. There's somebody at work, there's a situation. Maybe even at church if, if you haven't been doing that yet a chance to give, but let God prompt that. Give from what He gives to you. If God's calling you right now in some practical way, then it probably won't make sense to you. You probably won't be able to do it in your own strength. You're going to need Him. And so the activation here is, Father, I just say yes in complete awareness. I can't even take the step. I can't do it. That's humility. So let's start there, shall we? What's he calling you to do? Have you got the 
humility to say, Father, I can't do it. Lord, we just want to release that right now. Lord, we want to release the honesty of that. We haven't got what it takes to live this life you're calling us to live. And you haven't been glorified because of that. So, Father, we take a step of faith in this area. We say a very humble yes. We'll do it. And it's only as we do it, as we take the step, the grace comes as a live, real-time stream into our lives. We can't preload grace. It comes as we need it. So will you take that step of faith that God's calling you to take? And whatever that needs to look like in your life, don't leave this place. Do not leave this place until you've taken a step that gives you no way back. Burn the bridge behind you. That may mean you send yourself a message to say, I will do this or that this afternoon. It, whatever it is, it might be a relationship where you send an email or a text and say, I need, we need to talk. Whatever it would be, don't leave this room until you've taken a symbolic, iconic first step into what God's calling you to do. Speak to someone, do something. I'm going to be really bold. We've never done it. If you feel like you need to take a step of faith into, into what we're saying, I have no idea what the specifics would be. If you need to take that step, we're going to call it repentance, but don't think of it negatively. Think of it as a step going forward into where you can't go. I invite you as we stand now, let's all stand. And as we stand, will you come forward? And I want to pray for you. And I'm going to get the pray team, prayer team to pray for you. If you need to take that step of faith that you can't take on your own, please come on out the front right now under the Spirit's guidance and we'll pray for you that God will give you all that you need. Come on out now. That's it. God's calling us. God's calling you. Don't say no. Let the humility compel you to come forward. Bless you guys. You keep coming. As we're going to sing, keep coming forward and I'll invite the prayer team to come and start praying with people. Let's pray. Father, just come and bless. Come and fill this place with grace and power. Grace and power and faith, Lord. Work in our hearts as we pray with each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.